Good morning. We're so happy to be together with you on this, our ninth week of virtual Sunday services together. Uh, I haven't been able to say this, actually, but this is something that Joel and I say quite often on Sunday mornings, is that no matter where you are and how you're feeling, uh, our God is unchanging. In His infinite mercy and in His infinite wisdom, He is unchanging. And so in these changing times, uh, we're able to rest in that. So as we start today, as we start singing together, and preparing our hearts for what we're going to hear and what God's going to do for us. Uh, I ask you to pray, pray with me, and we'll pray that God, uh, right now, that you would give us the peace to be present in this moment together as we praise you and we worship you and learn about you in all the ways that you have to teach us. Mm. God bless this time. In the name of your Son, let's sing, Come Ye Sinners. If you 
As we are reminded of who God is in worship, we're also reminded of who we are. And that's a revelation that isn't always pretty. And in these challenging times, we know we haven't always been our best selves. Maybe it's in how we've treated people in our homes, selfish attitudes. Or maybe you're experiencing a growing spirit of impatience, frustration, and restlessness that's starting to leak onto other people in inappropriate ways. Whatever it might be, it's always so good to come to God and just acknowledge the truth of ourselves before Him and be reminded of His forgiveness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, said, You are a sinner, a great desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner you are to the God who loves you. For Christians, confession of sin ultimately is the gospel applied. It's a heart posture that is a mingling of humility and contrition before God, but also it's faith-filled appropriation of the grace of reconciliation. It's a movement from contrition to heartfelt gratitude in knowing that complete forgiveness has been accomplished in the cross of Christ, and that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Romans 8.1 so triumphantly reminds us. Confession is not about wallowing in our sin or beating ourselves up. It's a process of agreeing with God about what's true about us, both the sin and the redemption we have through Christ. So let's take a brief moment of silence right now to bring ourselves before God in confession. And then after that, I'll lead us in a group confession. Now let's read these words of confession out loud together. Almighty God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And let me end this time by reading to you the wonderful reminder of the grace and forgiveness we have through faith in Christ found in Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So we're going to be studying in Acts this morning, where Jesus talks about this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit that he gives us and the power we have therein. So we're going to turn to Acts 1, verses 1 through 8. Again, Acts 1, verses 1 through 8. In my former book, Theophilus, 
I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Over the past two weeks, we've been looking at the Spirit's role in the body of Christ, how He creates unity in the body and creates a diversity of gifts so that the body can build itself up in love. And this morning, we're going to turn to look at the Spirit's role in the world. And we're going to see that the Spirit of God is a spirit of mission, that He has a missional heart for the world. And He's out in the world reaching people and changing hearts and moving in lives so that people come to faith. In Jesus. Uh, this week I was thinking about a passage we looked at at the very beginning of this series, a very famous passage, John 3, the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus about being born again. Jesus mentions this idea that you have to be born again, you have to be born of the Spirit. And then he compares the Spirit to the wind. And he makes this very interesting comment about the wind in verse 8. He says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And it's this picture that the Spirit is like the wind. He's out in the world and He is at work. He's doing things. He's moving in people. He's doing things that are out of our control, that are surprising, but that are powerful and that are drawing people to faith in Jesus Christ. And so today we want to just acknowledge that part of the Spirit and ask ourselves, what does it mean to cooperate with the Spirit, to come alongside and be a part of what He's doing? What does it mean for Him to do His work through us? So we're going to look at the book of Acts today, and we're going to start with chapter 1 that you just heard Christina read from, and I just want to focus in on verse 8, which is really the thematic statement for the whole book of Acts. And what I see is two basic ideas being given to us in verse 8. And here's the first one. He says, Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So the idea being what I'm going to have you do, what, what your task is going to be, is something that's going to require power. And you're going to need God's power to do it. And I think that's what, why he says in verse 4, he says, don't leave Jerusalem yet, but wait for the gift of my Father, the promised Spirit. If you go out and try to do this in your own power, it's not going to happen. You don't have the power to do it. You, you won't bear fruit. And so you need to wait for the power of the Spirit to come upon you so that you can do what He wants you to do. So these are going to be Spirit-empowered followers of Jesus. And then the second idea in verse 8 is this. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And the witness word, that's a courtroom image, right? And so I think the idea that Jesus is running with here is that we can imagine Jesus is on trial with the world. And the question of this trial is, is Jesus who he claims to be? Is he really the Lord of life? Does he really save and heal and redeem and restore? And Jesus is saying, you guys are going to be called in as witnesses to bear testimony to what you've seen and heard, to give evidence that, yes, I am who I say, and my words are true, and I really do the things that I say that I do. Witnesses. So that really sums up what Acts is all about, spirit-empowered witnesses to the ends of the, of the world. God taking ordinary men and women and empowering them with his spirit to go out and to share the gospel with the world. So what I want to do is just look at three stories at the beginning of Acts and just see the kinds of things that the Spirit is up to in the world. And these will be familiar to many of you, but I think it helps just to get an overview of them to remember these are the kinds of things that the Spirit does in our lives and in the world. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to follow along, push pause right now, grab a Bible, and we'll just be looking at these very high level um, but I want to look at three stories. So the first one is in chapter 2, verse 1. And it's, of course, the story of Pentecost, which is the most significant event in early church history. So Jesus has returned to heaven and his disciples are gathered in one place. And the Holy Spirit comes on them and does some amazing things. And if I could give a word to what I see at Pentecost, is it's the word openness. The Spirit is creating an openness for the gospel to be received. And there's two ways that he creates this openness. The first is he opens the mouths of Jesus' followers. So in verse 4, watch what happens. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that happens then is their mouths are opened. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And what the content of their speech is, we learn in verse 11, it says, the people say, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So the Spirit comes on them, and the first thing that happens is he opens their mouths to declare the wonders of God, to speak about how marvelous God is and how good his gospel is. So this event draws a crowd, and then what God does is he takes Peter and and fills Peter with his spirit, and he opens Peter's mouth then to deliver this great message in the midst of this massive crowd that is gathered. And Peter gives this just beautiful message of the gospel. And here's a guy who really one of the last things we saw in him was his failure where he denied Jesus three times. And we've seen him kind of stumble along the way, but here he's filled with the spirit and the spirit opens his mouth, mouth and he just gives this great gospel message. It really comes almost with an altar call at the end. It's like everything you would want from a good message. It ends in verse 36 with Peter declaring, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So all that to say, the Spirit first opens the mouths of the disciples. But the second thing he does is he then opens the hearts of the people that are gathered there in a truly miraculous way. So look at verse 37. When the people that were gathered there heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replies, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And then verse 41 tells us, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So this remarkable opening up of people's hearts to be convicted and then to be drawn to the good news in Jesus Christ. So all that to say this first story tells me that the Spirit creates this unique openness to the gospel. And I just think that's worth acknowledging because we're in this very interesting time right now where so many things are closed, right? I mean, our lives have closed down. Things are closed. And yet I wonder what kind of openness might the Spirit be stirring in people's hearts through this time? I think there's open doors for people hearing the gospel in in different ways than they've heard it before. I think people's hearts are probably more open to conversations about the gospel. And so there might be opportunities for God's people to open their mouths and to speak about the wonders of God into this context. All right, so let's look at the second story. The second story happens in Acts chapter 4. Uh, This is a story of Peter and John before the religious leaders of the day. And what you need to know in chapter 3, they were walking into the temple and they found a lame man and they healed him miraculously in the name of Jesus. And so that, you know, causes this buzz and they preach the gospel and the religious leaders don't like this. They want to shut that down. So Peter and John are brought into the Sanhedrin for questioning. Okay, so you've got these two fishermen, these blue-collar nobodies brought before the religious elite the religious authorities of the day. It's a remarkable dynamic. And what I see the Spirit providing in this one is what I would call courage and boldness. So in verse 7, the religious leaders ask them. Uh, They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? And the Holy Spirit fills Peter in that moment. Look at what he does. Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Remarkable boldness. And I love Luke's depiction of the response of the religious leaders. Look at verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The Spirit fills them and what the people are so aware of is the courage, the boldness that the Spirit gives to these ordinary guys. And then the story goes on at the end of chapter 4 and ends with another theme of boldness. So the religious leaders release Peter and John. They go back to the believers and they share the story. And everyone is so excited and they pray to God, God, would you give us more boldness? And the the whole scene ends in verse 31 of chapter 4. I love this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened? And they spoke the word of God boldly. So that's the second thing that the Spirit provides, this courage and boldness to God's people to step into situations. He provides courage. Now, He encourages us to to step in not, not arrogantly, not obnoxiously, right? Humbly, gently, winsomely, but courageously and boldly. And again, I think this is a time where we want to be asking ourselves, what are the opportunities for us to step courageously 
into situations, lovingly but boldly and courageously. And then finally, one more story. Uh, let's go to chapter 8. And this is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian official. In uh, chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 26. So Philip was another one of the early disciples of Jesus. And uh, he has been sent on this desert road that goes from Jerusalem. It goes southwest towards the city of Gaza. And so he's walking and and a chariot passes by him, and this chariot is carrying an Ethiopian official. And this guy is a God-fearer, okay? So he doesn't know who Jesus is, but he is a God-fearer. He's actually come up to Jerusalem to worship. Now he's going back to his home in Ethiopia. And watch how the Spirit prompts and guides Philip in this moment. So verse 29, so Philip, imagine Philip just kind of walking this chariot passes by. And then verse 29 says, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So he prompts and guides Philip. We'll we'll never know what that was. Was that an audible voice from heaven? Was that just an inner prompting like we might experience today? Hard to know, but spirit follows the guidance of, uh, or Philip follows the guidance of the spirit and he runs up to this chariot and as he does, he starts paying attention. And he hears that a man is actually reading from Isaiah the prophet. In verse 30, and Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says in verse 31, how can I? Uh, unless someone is, explains it to me. So Philip's thinking, I know someone who could explain it to you. And so he gets in the chariot, in the chariot with him and he explains the gospel. And he explains how Jesus is the fulfillment of the suffering servant of Isaiah. And the man's heart is warmed and changed. And he comes to faith. And they actually find water nearby. And he gets baptized that day. It's just this remarkable story. But it highlights the Spirit's guidance, the Spirit's prompting, and how the Spirit so obviously placed Philip at just the right place, at just the right time, to minister to this man who was so ready to hear the gospel. And I think the Spirit continues that work today in our lives, prompting us, guiding us, moving us, placing us in situations where we're the right person at the right time. All right, so those are three examples of the Spirit working through His Spirit-empowered witnesses. The wind blowing, breathing, creating an openness, creating courage and boldness, guiding and prompting ultimately bringing people into the family of God. And I just want to acknowledge these are, you know, these are dramatic, right, extraordinary stories. And this was part of the early church. And so sometimes we can just write these off as history and say that has no application to our lives today. But I think if we ask some basic questions like, well, is God's Spirit still at work in the world today? Yes. Does God's Spirit still use ordinary men and women like us to achieve His purposes? Yes. Is, this, is the Spirit still have that missional heart? Is He still drawing people all over the world to faith in Jesus? Yes. And so I think we're being invited into this story today. And the word I want to leave you with this morning is that we would step into our days with a sense of expectation. That's the word, expectation, that I would Move into my day with a sense of expectation that the Spirit might be at work, that the Spirit might be blowing and breathing and moving around me and might be inviting me to cooperate and participate in what He's doing. So what would it look like for you to step into this week with a sense of expectation? 
as you talk to a friend, as you talk to a neighbor or a coworker or even a, a family member to say, Spirit, what are you doing? You might be at work right now in this moment. I might be here for such a time as this. And you might be opening a door or you might be giving me courage to step into this moment or you might be prompting me to do something. Do I live with that sense of expectation? And what I love about expectation is it reminds us that ultimately this is the Spirit's work. This is not our work. He is the one who moves in the world and changes hearts. And so it's not up to me. It's not up to us. It's His work. And we just have the privilege of coming alongside and being a part of His work. But it takes the pressure off and frees us just to step in and be ourselves. So I want to leave you with that idea. Let's move into this week with a sense of expectation for what the Spirit might want to do. Today I want to introduce something I call Communion Road. Uh, Our spiritual life is a journey, uh, but we are not alone on that journey. We have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of mission to guide us and to lead us. Uh, The Holy Spirit, you just heard in the story of uh, Philip and the eunuch, uh, he leads us along a road, he points things out, he shows us where to bear witness, where to share the gospel. He brings people into our lives that we are to respond to. And so that's what we have. We have on this road a companion and a friend who is constantly prompting us and guiding us. And so communion road is this. It's a heart posture. And so I want to give you three ways um, just to enter into this heart posture because we are not like Johnny Appleseed going around life just throwing out seeds of the gospel but we have a companion with us who knows what is going on in the hearts of others and he's drawing us together because no doubt he wants us to be fruitful in sharing the gospel and he will bring us to people that he is already doing in a work in. So I want to give you three ways uh, to continue on with the heart posture that I call communion road. Number one is meditate on the gospel. The gospel is the fuel for this heart posture. Um, It is the food that we eat. It's what drives us um, to even be witnesses. And without this, we would run out of gas and we would lose all hope and perspective. And so we need the gospel as our fuel to move forward. Number two is pray as you go. This is not just praying in the morning, but it's when you're in every situation, it's praying, Lord, I want to be used by you. I want to see opportunities. Help me be a witness for you. And number three is look for opportunities. Um, When opportunities come and you feel like the Lord is preparing you to step into that open door, uh, don't be ashamed, but move forward knowing that God is with you. You are not alone, and He has prepared in advance for works for you to do. I can remember... Uh, a long time ago, I was on a mission trip in England, and our team was dropped off at a place called Preacher's Corner. And this is a place where there literally are soapboxes, and people get up, and everybody uh, comes together to talk about religion. And so we found ourselves in a big crowd of about 30, and there was a man on a soapbox, and he seemed to be like seven feet tall, just dominating. And he was yelling and he was sharing what his beliefs were. And he had a team around him. There was uh, four other guys that looked strong and mean and and nobody was getting a word in. And and we were here uh, because we wanted to share our faith. And yet I looked around at the situation and said, God, this seems hopeless. Uh, What do you 
have for us? Where can we share our faith? And then right next to me, a man says, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And I looked and here was a man that shared the same belief system as the one on the soapbox, but he was not buying the things that he was saying. And I, and I turned to him and I realized that here was the opportunity. I said, would you tell me more? And so we started to have a conversation. It was hard with the yelling going on. And so we moved over to the side and wouldn't you know it, we had a 20, 30 minute conversation and our conversation was so good. He got to share his faith journey and his doubts and I got to share the gospel and my beliefs. And pretty soon we noticed that those 30 people had surrounded us and they were listening to our conversation and our, a mutual respect was being formed and the gospel was being heard, not just by me and this other guy and my uh, the person with me, on, my teammate, but all 30. In fact, the man on the soapbox got down and came over and he tried to get into our conversation. And we said, sir, you had your opportunity to share what you believe. We have a really good thing going. And so he quieted down and he began listening. And so uh, the conversation ended and God was glorified because the, the gospel was heard in a way that brought peace to the situation. And people were hungry to hear, not somebody yelling at a, on a soapbox, uh, their their views, but but two people having an articulate conversation and the gospel being heard. And so I just felt like that was the Lord moving that day and guiding me in a way that I could have never orchestrated on my on my own. And so I want to tell you this, be expectant. You are not alone. You're on a journey with God and he's going to bring you to places and to people and to things and you can rely that he knows what he's doing and you just have to trust and obey and take that step of faith.
peace, pardoning the pardoning, born again when we die, you have raised us to new life, let there be peace, pardoning the pardoning, born again. Well, we hope this has been an encouragement to you, and we invite you to consider some reflection questions that we've provided for you that we'll put up on the screen right now. And we will leave you with this benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. Amen. Amen.